funny, we came in this morning to do worship practice and turn on the overhead and nothing. But, uh, you know, one of the, for me, one of the hardest things um, has always been patience <laughs> and, and uh, allowing, see, I don't think it's as, you know, I think people have the wrong understanding about, you know, the Bible says that God uses all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. And, and, I, and I think we can, we can kind of almost be superstitious in a sense of, you know, uh, you know oh, it must have been God's will you know, that I couldn't find my toothbrush. Uh, it must have been God's will uh, that the car wouldn't start. It, it must have been God's will that the overhead didn't work today. And, and, I don't, and, and, and please don't misunderstand me. That could very well be the truth, uh, that, that God did allow something specifically to happen like that for a, a purpose in your life or in someone else's life. But I don't think, I don't think that that's where the focus should be. The focus should be simply on Okay, Lord, <laughs> whether, whether it was directly his will for you to not be able to find your own toothbrush or for something to not work right, regardless, just whatever happens in life, whether it's big or small, whether it's minor or major, you know, when the Bible talks about he who is faithful in the small things, I'll give him rulership over, over great things. Uh, and, and if every time I can't find my car keys, I go into orbit, <laughs> right? Um, then how is God going to put me in a situation where the heat's really on? You know, uh, and, and, and so everything that happens in life, if we can see that, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm getting better. Boy, is it hard, you know. And usually your original, your initial reaction is always, you know, you know and then you, oh, okay, wait, hold on. That's the flesh. You could put that to the side. Lord, you know, it's all good. It's all good. What a great way to live life. I think, I think when the Bible talks about walking by faith and not by sight, I think, man, so often it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as just walking through this world and walking in the life that you have and just allowing what, in whatever situation you find yourself in, in whatever set of circumstances, just to be like, Lord, do your thing. Do your thing. Don't let me get in the way because of my temper. Don't let me get in the way because of, uh, of my tendency to this thing or that thing that you know so very well in me. Help me to have victory in these things. Man, it's all good. That's the greatest thing about being a Christian is that you can wake up every morning, no matter what garbage you allowed yourself to be soaked in that week, you can wake up every new morning and go, it's all good because of Jesus Christ and claim the blood of Jesus Christ and that forgiveness that he offers each and every one of us, not just today, but tomorrow and for all time. No matter how bad we blow it, we can wake up and we can say, it's all good because Jesus Christ died for me and his sacrifice is for all time. It's fresh. His grace and mercy are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Man, it's all good. It's all good. So we are in Exodus chapter 36. I do have a Mother's Day message. But first, we're going to go through Exodus chapter 36. And you're like, how the heck are these two going to tie together? Well, let's see what the Lord does, because I really don't know. <laughs> Dad's like, here's your verses for the day. And I'm like, thanks. This is awesome. <laughs> so here's where we are in Exodus chapter 36. The articles of the temple 
or excuse me, of the tabernacle and the articles of, of clothing and the instruments of priesthood. Also, all the things that God has instructed Moses now are being put into the hands of the people who God has specifically chosen and given them skills and craftsmanship to put these things together in a faithful manner. Uh, and so we have this Basilel and Aholiab uh, and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. You know, so any of you guys who've ever worked construction or done, done a job or whatever, and your customer or, or whatever the case may be, or, or sometimes it's at home and it's your wife, and she was, I want it built this way. And I want it to look this way. And so you're very careful, right? To, you want to be careful, be careful to do it as she has instructed you to do it. And, and, and if when you're done, she goes, no, 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 I'm gonna, we're going to change it now. Be careful, right? But imagine, if you would, specifically, you know, if I go to a, a job site and this is what's expected of me, this is what the customer is looking for. I want, when I leave that job site, two things I want them to say. ABJ Fire Protection is a great company. They have got skilled guys that really know their way around a sprinkler system. And number two, I want them to say, that Frank Thomas is one special guy. <laughs> I want them to call my office, and I want them to say, only ever send Frank here again. He knows sprinklers like no one I've ever, I've never, I've ever met. And he's so wonderful with me. And I love him. <laughs> right? No, but, but seriously, that's, that's what I want. And the Bible talks about that everything that we do in this life, we should do it as unto the Lord. You know, every skill, every gift that God has, 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 has given us uh, is to be used in His glory. Now, you're working for a customer, or you're working for your wife, or you're working for yourself, or for your parents, or whatever the case may be, but God has given each one of us a skill to be used in His glory and His services. It doesn't matter if we're a five-talent person or we're a one-talent person. You remember the parables that Jesus taught. What matters is, is that we take what God has given and we put them into the economy of life. And we take what God has given us and we, and we use it, and it to the best of our ability. Now, I'm a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of guy. Actually, I'm a jack-of-only-a-few-trades and a master-of-even-least-less, you know. That's really more like me. But uh, whatever I do and whatever it is, I, I want to have this kind of attitude. Lord... I love you. And, and not specifically like, okay, I'm gonna, this next lap around the dirt bike track's for you, Lord. You know what I mean? Uh, it, but but, but it, my attitude in the overall scheme of what motocross is to me, and this may seem like a dumb example, but it's not. In, in everything, every place that I go and ride, whether it's here with a bunch of guys or get invited to some other event or whatever, the overall look of that day is that I'm there to ride my dirt bike for Jesus. And I'm horrible. I'm the, the most terrible dirt bike rider you'll ever see. Really, it's, it's embarrassing at times, right? Poor Marty, he's got to be there and watch half the time. But no matter what, you're going to see, when I get off my bike and people feel them and say, is he riding? Is he riding? He looks like he just fell out of the Twinkie truck. What, is he really? Is he riding? That guy rides? And when I pull my helmet off of my chubby little face and the sweat is pouring down <laughs> from the very few laps that I just took, you know, there's going to be a huge, giant grin on my face. Not only, not only because I love the sport, but more importantly because I know 
I love this sport and God put this sport in my life, even though I stink at it, to be, so I could use it for his glory and for his purposes and so I could shine a light at the track to people who've never seen that light. It doesn't matter how good I think I am or think I am not. What matters is, is that it's put into the service of our Lord. Amen. And so what's Basilil and Aholiab and every other gifted artisan in whom the Lord had put wisdom and skill? Where did they acquire those skills? Well, where were they from, guys? Egypt. And what were they in Egypt? Slaves. And what did the slaves do in Egypt? Build stuff. You think when they were standing in front of the taskmaster with the whip in his hand, and if he didn't like a certain move that they make, he'd lay it across their back that they're thinking... Oh, I'm learning for you, Lord. Woo! You know, thank you for teaching me the skills that are going to be used in your service someday. Okay, you know, you think that's what was going on in their heads? The Bible says that when God finally called Moses, he said, the cry of my people has reached my ears. They weren't there like joyfully serving the Egyptians and learning skills. Their lives were lived out in misery and fear and pain, and they were crying out to God's Save us from this. And he would. But in the midst of that, he was even using their bondage to prepare them for freedom. Wow. We are so interested, aren't we? We are so interested in having freedom and being able to do the things that we want to do. We're Americans, right? I mean, I will be wrapped in an American flag. I will have some offensive American shirt on the 4th of July. And I'll be blowing things up here. Because that's what we do. America, right? America. And so the idea and the thought of losing that freedom is repugnant to me. Makes me want to get my musket and my patriot hat and march to Maryland. You know what I mean? Because the thought of of, of, um, we're losing freedoms or freedoms might be eroded away, it's so repugnant to us. Uh, and so that's why you see Christians freaking out over politics and all intertwined in politics all the time because we're very concerned about our present situation. But what God wants us to do, and he wants us to enjoy our freedom and to live as free as we can at, at, at all times. The Bible teaches that. But what God wants us to understand more than that is that in everything that's going to happen, guys, over the next, if the Lord tarries, over the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, I mean, you see what's happening politically, right? You see what's going on in Washington, in our Congress. You see what's happening. I'm telling my kids already. You know what I'm saying? Like, look, look, when you get to the age of marriage and having children, things may not be the same as they are now. You may not have the freedoms that we have in raising you guys. There may be a, a, a form of bondage that's put upon you. And you don't have the freedom to just do whatever you think is right. But God has a purpose for that in your life too. We trust in God, not Uncle Sam. Our faith and our hope is in God. And that He did put us here. And it's great and it's easy and wonderful to say, well, He put us here in this time and in this place to be, to be servants for His kingdom and ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's great and it's wonderful because we're so thankful to live in the place that we live and to have the freedoms that we have. 
But if he also ordained us for such a time that we may see those freedoms erode and go away and be put into some sort of bondage in our minds, that's for him too. That's for him too. The Bible is very clear. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. And the freedom that we have is not because of the Constitution, the Declaration, or the Bill of Rights. The freedom that we have is because, boom, the Word of God and the fulfillment of it in the man, Jesus Christ, who died to free us. That's why the Bible says, don't fear the one who can kill the body and after that do nothing at all. Fear the one who can kill the body and afterwards put the soul in hell. It's not to put, oh God, you know, that kind of thing. The idea is to understand the economy of life. That the spiritual is every bit as real as the physical. In fact, I would say more so. Because the spiritual was before the physical and the spiritual will be after the physical. And God has called me to be a spiritual man. And he's called you to be a spiritual man or woman. So, what had Basilel and Aholiab been through? In what manner did they learn the trades that they were skilled at? I would suggest that because they were in bondage for the last 400 years, it wasn't like in dad's trade shop. It was at the other end of a lash. And yet, God's purpose is being realized in these men and women. As God brings them out into this place now and says, and now, and now, watch what I'll do. And can you imagine the day that Bezalel woke up and said, I know this because of that, but God's going to use it for this? Wow. Amazing. And he would have never known. But I wonder how much trust and faith he learned through that. And they received from Moses uh, all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. We talked about that last week. The people brought so much stuff, which again was from Egypt. Remember, God had instructed them, before you leave, ask your neighbors for articles of silver and gold and clothing, fine linen, things of that nature. And God put such a heart of favor in the Egyptians towards the children of Israel that they, took, they gave them so much that the Bible says they plundered the Egyptians. And now here it is being good to put, put to good use as God says, bring these articles that were given to you that we may use them for the building of the tabernacle. <gasps> That's what it's for? That's what it's for? And they had to tell the people, okay, stop. <laughs> we have way too much. Stop. Don't bring any more. Verse 8, and all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, they made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the width of each curtain four cubits. The curtains were all the same size. And he coupled five curtains to one another and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set and likewise he did on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain, and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain on the end of the second set. The loops held one curtain to another, and the curtains of goat's hair, and verse 19, the ram skin covering, and verse 20, the boards and the sockets. And, and, and the, the Bible here explains all of these things that God had instructed Moses to build, to make, 
or to have built and have made, and now in how they were going to be put together, actually put together, actually built, the materials that were used. And as we go through all the way down uh, to, well, to, to, the end of the, to the end of the chapter and going on into chapter 37, we see that these men that God had called were building these things exactly the way God had instructed them to build. And when we get to the end where Moses inspects everything, Moses blesses them because he sees that what they did, they did exactly, exactly as the Lord had told them to do it. And that's very, very, very important. I mean, if you want to read through all the the actual details of he coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, that's not as important as what was happening here is active obedience. Active obedience. At no point in time did Basilil say, you know what, I think I'm going to put my own twist on this. Halfway through, as he's building these things, and he's building the curtains, and he's making the boards for the tabernacle, and he's making the altar, and he's making the, 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 you know, the, the, the menorah and all these different things, going, man, you know what, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty, look at that. Look at that. Can you do that, Moses? <laughs> I don't think so. So you know what? I think it would be better if we put a little, or if we did a little. I believe that everything that they had learned in bondage, they only knew how to do things one way. You know how that was? Exactly how they were told. Exactly how they were told. It had literally been beaten into them. Literally. And you and I know, looking back through the Word of God, how when God laid things out, the prescribed instruments of worship and the prescribed ways in which He was to be worshipped, He was very specific, wasn't He? He was very specific. And He expected the children of Israel to do the things exactly the way He had said. And the way he had prescribed. And we're going to get to a point in time where when the priesthood begins, it doesn't go well for a couple of the guys. You know why? Because they decide to add a little bit of their own flavor to the worship of God. And they're consumed by fire from the holy place. It's a rough portion. And you go, what? Well, what's God trying to say? First of all, thank God we live in the age of grace. Right? Thank God we live in the age of grace. But what does the Bible say about God? He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Yesterday and today and forevermore. And God expects no less from us in the way of obedience as He did from the children of Israel. God expects us to live our lives and to operate within our families and in our worship of Him, in our church, everything that we do, exactly the way He's prescribed us to in His Word. He expects that of us. And it's a wonderful thing that when we blow it, we don't have to worry about animal sacrifices. Because Jesus Christ was the sacrifice once and for all time. And so every time I blow it, and every time I do thing, something in a way that he has not prescribed for me to do, I'm for, I immediately can experience that forgiveness of God through Jesus. And I can repent of my sin, and I can say, oh, Lord, I blew it. I blew it. Lord, forgive me. You're forgiven. 
But never should we misunderstand or see that as God giving us a little wink. Don't do that. No, 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 no. He's still the same holy God, and he's still worthy of the same manner of worship and obedience on our part. He lays out for us in the Bible perfection. Jesus Christ was our example, the Scripture says, that we should walk in his steps. In other words, and specifically says that we are to be what? Imitators of him. You know, that was the reason for the bracelets that were popular for a while. Remember those? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, for you and I, it's what did Jesus do? And it's a finished work. But that was always, I thought, a good reminder that my life is to be lived in imitation of him. So, in the spirit of Exodus chapter 36, and these men who God used to build these articles of the tabernacle, and what God had done or put into their lives or allowed to be in their lives or allowed them to go through or the circumstances of their lives that God allowed to be so that he could use them for this situation and the obedience that they had. I wanted to just talk, uh, talk a little bit about moms. I want to talk a little bit about moms and wives this morning. And I wanted to look at uh, a couple of verses. First, I wanted to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And you're going to say, what? This isn't... But, but, but you'll, you'll get it in a minute, I hope. Proverbs 3, 13 to 18 says this, Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious, speaking of wisdom, than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, speaking of wisdom. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Now we know uh, of the life of King Solomon that he, God gave him a wisdom that no man before him or after him ever had. He was the wisest of all the rulers of, of, of the earth, and he was the wisest of all the kings of Israel. And yet, Solomon in his own life did some of the dumbest things you could believe. Specifically, in allowing his heart to chase after and to go after the things of this world. God gave him this basic, pure wisdom. It was a wisdom that was from God, and it was a wisdom that was pure in form. And because of that, Solomon was the greatest ruler that Israel ever had. And kings and queens and rulers from all over the world came to the nation of Israel to seek an audience with Solomon that they might sit at his feet and to listen to him discourse on whatever. He had a brain, God gave him a brain like a computer. And the guy had this amazing wisdom. And because of all of this, Israel became so wealthy and so prosperous that the Bible says that silver was like stones. You know, it's like, what is that? Oh, it's just a piece of silver. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just silver. Oh, that was gold. That's worth a little bit, you know. Like, that's how prosperous they were under Solomon's reign. But in that prosperity... 
And in that blessing that they were experienced because of Solomon's wisdom in directing the people in life and in their worship of God, within that very blessing, Solomon's heart went after the things of this world. Why? Because they were available to him. Because he could have them. The Bible says that he loved many foreign wives. You know, the Bible says that Solomon had over 300 wives and over 700 kept women. A thousand women in his house. A thousand. You wonder, just logistically, right, how that must have been. And then you wonder, why? No, 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 don't misunderstand me. I'm not making a joke at at ladies' expense. But why do you need a thousand because he had lost completely the sight of what was truly valuable and how that value rests completely on how God has directed it to be put into operation. God made the male and female. And for this reason, a husband, singular, will be joined to his wife, singular, and the two shall become one flesh. That was how God created the world. That's the perfect plan that God put into place. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom and all of his understanding, lost complete sight of God's wisdom and amassed to himself. And his heart, the Bible says, was turned away after the gods of his foreign wives. And he built altars and he built tabernacles to these foreign gods. And that ended up being the beginning of the downfall of the nation. And so Solomon, at the end of his life, when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, how does it begin? Vanity. Vanity of vanities. You could literally say, it's soap bubbles. It's soap bubbles. All the things of life, all the pleasures of this world, it has the appearance of being something, but when you try to grab it and hold on to it and draw it to yourself, it's soap bubbles. There's no substance there. There's nothing of real value, of intrinsic worth there. It's just stuff. It just looks puffed up. It looks like it's something. But when you actually get a hold of it, there's nothing there. Vanity, vanity, Solomon goes on to say to his sons. And so in the book of Proverbs, as he's teaching his sons, he's very specific in talking about this is what real wisdom looks like. And that's what he's talking about here in chapter 3. You see where he puts God's wisdom. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Wisdom. Seek after wisdom. You know, in the New Testament, the Bible says anyone who lacks wisdom should ask the Lord God for it. And it will be given to them. If you seek after God's wisdom, God will give you wisdom, the Bible says. Now, with that wordage in mind, how, how, how Solomon talks about wisdom here in, in Proverbs chapter 3, turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31, and I'm going to read selected verses. Specifically 10 to 11, 15, 17, 20, 23, 25 to 26, 28 and 30 to 31. Out of Proverbs 31, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Does that sound familiar? 
That's exactly the same verbiage he used to describe the gaining of wisdom. And I want to talk about this. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. In other words, her ways are paths of pleasantness, her paths are peace, and she's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And specifically what Solomon is talking about here is he's known in the gates for his wife. He's known in the gates because of his wife. And, and any of you who got a wife like mine, you say, man, people say to me all the time, man, man, your wife, man, you're a lucky man. You are a lucky man. I, I'll never forget, and first, I don't know why this, it always sticks out in my head, when Nikki was pregnant for Taylor for our first child. I mean, and she was big pregos. And we went to a wedding of a guy that I was working with at the time, and we went to his wedding, and Nikki wore this, like, little cute little, I don't know, she called it a sundress or whatever, this cute little dress. And I'll never forget her, how her hair exactly, how her hair was up. And she was just sunshine. She was just sunshine. And we went to this wedding, and it was, it was a wedding completely of this world. Okay? Completely of this world. And, you know, where, like, how drunk can we get? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like one of these kind of weddings. And, and, and in me, from my perspective, like in the midst of all of this worldliness, was Nikki sitting across the table, eating our wedding food or whatever, while everyone else is doing this and doing that. And all night long, people were coming up to me and going, you're a lucky man. You're a lucky man. And not just because she's beautiful. It's because of the radiance. And man, especially when Nikki was prego, man. Like she glowed, to me, she glowed, just glowed. And she, I, you know, you, know you, you, you wise know, you're like, I'm getting so fat, I'm getting so fat. And I'd be like, well, welcome to the club, you know what I mean? <laughs> How do you think I feel? <laughs> yeah, I've got to make it about me. But like, oh, no, baby girl, you are not fat. You are perfect. You are perfect. And I remember just, just that, that scene that night, just I never, ever forgot that. And I think all, I can close my eyes and I can see Nikki in that dress with her hair the way it was and the line of dudes that were coming up and going, man, you were lucky. Now, the reason I'm lucky, it's not because Nikki is such a saint, which she is, and such a great wife, which she is, such a great, you know, because at the time, it wasn't the Nikki of now. It was Nikki of then. She's way better now than she was then. And she was good then. But let me tell you what people saw. And it's the same thing, ladies, that people see in you. It was that her life, and, and in so many ways, we didn't even know it yet. We hadn't even begun to really be on a, a, a path that we knew God had for us yet. And yet, we knew that God specifically had put us together, had brought us together, and that we were there for a reason. And the reason was to love each other in loving Him and in serving Him. 
And gosh, I can t- we can go we can tell you funny stories and horror stories and knock down drag out stories and just all these things where we're like, oh my gosh, I would have ran you over with my car and then left. You know what I mean? To me, <laughs> you know. But we stayed, and never ever once ever did we ever even discuss separating. The, the, the word divorce never was even on our lips, ever. And it wasn't because our love was so pure and so wonderful. Romeo and Juliet, part two. No, it's because we knew God had put us together. You, you understand what I'm saying? With this Proverbs 31 wife, and the reason that it's related directly back to Proverbs 3 in wisdom, is because ladies, man, oh, sh- goodness gracious. I was going to say man, oh, shevitz. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. But... Man, oh man, when you are doing what God has called you to do and what God has ordained for you to do in your home and in your family and your structure where God has put you and where your family operates, and guys, right? Like there's no, there's no yacht, there's no mansion, there's no sports car, there's no, there's no life, there's no fantasy, there's nothing that can even come close to lining up with the beauty of that situation. Nothing. So when it says he's known in the gates, it's not like, oh, here, here comes Mike Cos. Dude's, dude's a serious dude, man. He's like the wisest dude I've ever known. Right? And we love you, Mike. <laughs> You're pretty awesome. But you know what? <laughs> we look at, Mike's got a great wife. And when, we, when, when, when the girls come in, Danielle with her family, and Denise with her family, and Stacy and Bethany, and we look at those girls and how they love the Lord. Mike, and we know, brother, you're a great dad, but we know it's all Amy. <laughs> we know it's all... And, and, and that's not, like, when I say that to you, bro, it's not offensive at all, because she's yours, right? Right? It's not offensive at all. It's like, you got it! You got it! How'd you get her? Mm-hmm. Oh, God just gave her to me. And she's mine. And it's the greatest treasure ever. And the book of Proverbs is filled with this Solomon. is this rich, rich doesn't even begin. You know what I'm saying? Like Mike, Bill Gates and these other guys, clowns. Solomon is like gold. I mean, everything, just, just lavish luxury. And Solomon just whimsically will say, Oh, better a table with hardly any food on it and peace in the home than with great abundance and strife. Remember, I told you he had a thousand women, right? And, and whose fault is that? There couldn't have been pleasantness between a thousand. Like, just a thousand people getting along is hard enough, but a thousand women? Uh, uh, sorry, ladies, but you're tough. Like I, like, I could never be a chick friend. I'm the, I'm the, I can't ever be a girlfriend. Because I just don't have what you're supposed to have as a girlfriend. You know what I mean? Where you call <laughs> and you stay in touch. Well, she hasn't spoken to me in three weeks. Yeah? I was like, were you supposed to? Because I will talk to some of my best friends for months on end. You know why? They're there. He's cool. Everyone's like, hey, hey what's up? That's going good. All right, I'll see you in six months. All right, that's good. And, but women have this, this beautiful sensitivity. What an idiot Solomon was. 
Solomon, find one whose worth is above rubies. Well, he knew it, didn't he? And so he tells his son, oh, better to sit in a house where you got a bowl of soup and some Ritz crackers and a wife of virtue, baby, and peace in the home. This is God's plan. When we're talking to our youngsters, and don't be afraid to holler at some youngster that ain't your own, because in this church, they're your own. To holler at him and say, hey, what do you look, you make sure, make sure, don't be seeking out, don't be seeking out what the world says you ought to have. Don't you be seeking out what, what the world says is what a good man looks like or a good woman looks like. You make sure, find you that virtuous husband, find you that virtuous wife. Because the value and the worth that's there. Because guess what? Beauty fades away, man. Beauty. Why do you think these movie stars can't stay with somebody? They're the most beautiful people on earth. And their relationships are like, oh, no. Why? Because that's it. And it's how it relates back to me, 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 me. Man, the wisdom of God and how God directs us to run our families and our lives through His Word, it just creates peace. And I'll tell you what, moms, wives, you are the middle of that. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. I love that. Because you think of the law, you think of harshness. And it's the law of kindness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, I wanted to finish um, with, a, with an excerpt from, from, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And, and this, is a, this is one of those verses that you know, we like to skip over because it does, just doesn't sound nice. It doesn't sound like, like happy. Because in Timothy's talking about, uh, you know, w- women remaining, Paul's telling Timothy about women's place in, in worship and how I don't permit them to teach and they should remain silent in the church because it was an Adam that was deceived, it was the woman. And, 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 and you know, and it's like, oh boy, can we skip this part? You know what I mean? Let's not remind them, you know. And then at the end, it says uh, this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And at first glance, it looks like, and God's going to let you live through having kids if you're good. If you're good. But that always bothered me because that's not the nature of God. And that's not the nature of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You better or else. No, 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 no. And also remember, ladies, anytime we're in the Scripture and it's talking about the roles of women and men within the church, remember that the Bible very specifically teaches that there is no difference between the sexes in God's eyes. That's why when we get to heaven and we're all glorified, there's no marriage because we're all the same in the Spirit. And God looks at us equally, but He's given us roles on this earth. He's given us roles, and He's given us each of us a job to do. He's given each of us a list of things that this is what the man should be doing, and this is what the woman should be doing, both in the home and in the church. This is the way I've ordained it. Not to put a trip on you, or God's a sexist. No, 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 no. Because God built you. God made you. God designed you. God created us. And so He knows exactly how we worked at our most optimum capacity. 
You want to know how many quarts of oil to put in your truck or uh, you know, how, what kind of spark plugs you should use? Call the factory. Don't buy from them because you're going to spend an arm and a leg, but, but call the factory. What exactly? Oh, oh, because they built it. We can understand that. But then when it gets to living out the word of God, we're like artisans building the tabernacle going, I think I'd look better like this. I'm going to put my own spin on this. No, no, no. The Bible says that this is what husbands and wives should be doing. And the Bible says this is how we should be raising our kids. That's not up for debate. Because some clinical psychologist said that 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 doesn't work anymore. No, no, no. This is the word of God. And I'll tell you, the proof will always be in the pudding. And if we seek to live our lives according to God's plan, there's going to be blessing there. That's the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 3. But, but listen to this. Woman, woman uh, she'll be saved in childbearing if they... But notice that it says, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, this is what it says in the Orthodox Jewish Bible, okay? But womankind, but womankind will be saved through her childbearing if Nashim remain in Umana and Ahava and Kadusha with Tzunis. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's not supposed to. I have to do the translations. <laughs> but notice it says, womankind will be saved through her childbearing if, and in the New King James, it's they, in the NIV, it's they, but in the Orthodox Jewish Bible, in the Hebrew, it's Nashim. Now, when you look up the word Nashim, it is the Hebrew for women or, women or wives, plural, as a whole. And it's also the third order of the Mishnah and of the Tosefta and Talmud that contained the family laws. That's the word Nashim. It means woman or womankind, women or excuse me, women or wives, and it's also the third order of the Talmud which was about the laws concerning family order. Of the six orders of the Mishnah, it is the second shortest. That is the Nashim. So, womankind will be saved through her childbearing if Nashim. Now listen to what, 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 what this is what I see. And maybe it's not, you're like, what are you talking about? Womankind will be saved through her childbearing. This is what I see. The woman, the virtuous wife, the woman who is godly, who is walking in the precepts of God, in her childbearing, in her family, womankind will be saved. In other words, it's kind of like the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The offspring of you guys is a light to save mankind. That, that's what I see here. That women, Nashim, womankind will be saved through her childbearing. This is God's plan for the family in Christ. That through our families, through what God has called us to do as a unit, following the word of God, that we would bring light and salvation to the world. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. But I read it and I was like, wow, that makes sense to me. That's more like it. That's more like what God would say. God doesn't just have women sitting in the corner. You know, you sit over there and be quiet. This is a man's world here in the church. 
I mean, any denomination or group with it, they got it all wrong. They got it all wrong. Yes, there's roles. Yes, there's ordained roles that God has specifically stated for men and women within the church and in the family. But the intrinsic value, ladies, of what God has called you to do, blows it, blows it out of the water. Blows it out of the water. So hopefully that was encouraging to you guys. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, uh, for your word, Lord. And, and we thank you, Father, for um, the encouragement, uh, Lord, that you always provide for us, Lord, through our study of you and our seeking of your face. Father, we ask and pray that you would help us to, to be the people you've called us to be, Lord, in whatever capacity that is and whatever our role is, Lord, within our homes, within our church, Lord, that you would call us to do exactly what you've, what you've asked us to do, Father, so we could experience the blessing, Lord, in our lives, Lord, and your guiding hand in everything that we do. And uh, Father, help us to just look to you and to seek your face in every situation. Lord, thank you for our moms. Thank you for our wives, Lord. Pray that you'd bless them this week, this day and this week, Father, uh, that you would continue to guide them, Lord, to strengthen them and to use them to be the light that they are, Lord, to their families and to their communities, Lord, and in this church. We're so thankful for them. Uh, Father, we love you, and we're, we're grateful that you brought us here together, and you've given us everything that we have, and we're grateful and thankful for that, Lord. Have your way in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.